are going to get into marital boundaries. And we talk about boundaries a lot on the podcast. We all know it's Mark's favorite word, right? Boundaries. <laughs> yes, it is. It's it a, is. Makes it's for a, good relationships, I think. It does. In class, I was studying about this and I thought, man, that's a good topic because it's not something that people think about in a marriage, right? We all know that we need boundaries with everybody outside our marriage, right? We have to create boundaries with our in-laws, with our own parents. We have to create boundaries with our kids. But what about the boundaries that are in marriage? And when I first thought of this, I'm like, well, why do you need boundaries? And I think because our lives are so entwined that I thought, well, maybe boundaries are just another word for expectations. And I think that's really what it comes down to. What are your thoughts on that? You know, I think there's a little bit of a difference between boundaries, at least. And this is just the way I view it. I think that boundaries within a marriage are things that typically you don't do. Okay. I think expectations, though, can be things you don't do or things you expect to happen. Mm -hmm. And so in that way, I think they're a little bit different. I think one thing I... I I disagree with you a little bit. I don't know that people talk about boundaries outside of the marriage. Even I see couples all the time where they haven't even thought about it and, you know, they get married and they, it's, it's this whole new concept to be able to say no to your parents. I mean, I had a couple today. I said, this is something you're going to have to learn how to do is to say no, because otherwise they don't have any time for themselves or their, you know, year old baby. And so for whatever reason, we don't think about saying no, which is a boundary. Yeah. You know, we cannot come to dinner this week. Uh, we can come next week. That's a boundary. So an expectation, uh, you know, in that regard, I think there are lots of, say, within the the marriage, oh, say around sexuality, mm-hmm. you know, there are expectations around sexuality. And what I have found, a huge number of couple problems are really about unfulfilled expectations. Yep. And one of the mistakes that couples make is they don't talk about their expectations either early on or even before mm-hmm. their marriage. So I think that boundaries, in a lot of ways, are similar. I agree. But expectations can be, I expect you to do this and this and this and this. And okay. I think, I think that's a little different. So I'll revise my statement. Anybody who's listened to this podcast <laughs> knows that boundaries with anyone outside of a marriage is really important. It okay. is. Well, hopefully, yeah, I hope, hopefully they've learned that. Right. I mean, I think by, by now, I hope we, that they, we do talk about boundaries a lot. And so, you know, th- they're crucial. And so I wanted to get into some of the boundaries that maybe we don't think about in marriage. Mostly they're implicit, but it's going to, I, I think it's going to maybe warrant some good conversations to have. Mm-hmm. So one of the most common books that I think we talk about is Robin Smith's Lies at the Altar. As I was thinking about it, I was like, I think we might have brought that book up more than any other book in this podcast. Probably. I I agree with you. We brought it up uh, quite a few times. Yeah. And there is that chapter that we always reference. It's 276 questions to ask before you get married. And as we've also said before, you don't have to or you can be married and still have them. Like even if you just got married or shoot, even if you've been married for 10 years, like Curtis and I had been when I started going over those questions, they're really good questions to ask. Right. So, But, but I think that her premise of do it before you get married, I think that's a good one. Yes. I think that, you know, as we've talked about probably many times, you fall in love and, you know, you want more than anything for this to work out. And you don't think about the practical 
implications of two people moving in together and getting married. And so it's great that you're there's passion and that you're in love, but that doesn't last. And so you have mm-hmm. to really somehow bring yourself down to earth and think about, okay, what does this look like 10 years from now? And I think that's what those questions really are helpful in doing because they're things that you wouldn't normally think about, you know, to ask, like, do you like pets? You know, instead of you get married and then all of a sudden your your wife wants a cat and you're allergic to cats and nobody ever thought to talk about, do you like cats? Do you like dogs? I mean, it sounds like a simple thing. It is not a simple thing when you're married. Yeah. I'm living yeah. together. Well, I mean, expectations around holidays, that's one right. that, that's, oh, that's, yeah. that's one that she gets into. And that's a really big one. I mean, because especially if, you know, you live in a culture where a religious culture where, you know, you wait until sex to have marriage, courtships, yeah. dating and courtships, they go fast. They might not be a year. You may not celebrate Christmas and Thanksgiving as a couple before mm-hmm. you get married. And so, yeah. you know. They're, they're important conversations to have. Okay. So I don't remember where I heard this quote, but I've heard that frustrations are often a result of unmet expectations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Frustrations and anger and problems. Yeah. I agree with that. Yes. And so one of the things that couples need to do is talk about expectations. Mm-hmm. So as we kind of distinguished expectations are more and I kind of like the way you distinguish that expectations are what's expected to do boundaries are what's expected not to do yeah I think that's one way to look at yeah I I agree and so let's get into some of the implied boundaries that people probably don't think about the first one is fidelity Mm -hmm. right so that's an implied boundary if we're we're going to be married and we're only going to have sex with just each other. We're not going to be sexually intimate or even emotionally intimate with anybody but each other. Right. Now, here's the difference in, I don't know, how long has the internet been around, you know, uh-huh. years, say, that, you know, when I got married, there, I mean, there really, we didn't have computers. We didn't have a computer till you know, years after. And so there wasn't any internet. And so we aren't talking about what is your uh, expectations around social media? Mm. So, and and I know I've said before, I'm I'm just not a, a fan of any social media. And I think one of the reasons is I see couples and there's often a component where, you know, the one or both of them are off talking to other people on social media or looking at pictures on Instagram or, you know, anything like that. And so, I think you have to talk about what are your expectations around social media use? Mm -hmm. What's okay? What's threatening? And it's going to be different for every couple. And so, you know, I don't know that we could go into it and say, well, this is okay. This isn't okay. Uh, I think I could probably make the statement that having an emotional online relationship is never okay. Yes. But uh, I think a couple needs early on needs to talk about what what does that even mean? to the, mm-hmm. to each of you is does it mean you don't have friends online of the opposite sex again i don't know that there's a right or a wrong but you need to talk about it you need to get your expectations out mm-hmm. and the other thing to realize you know five years in as as technology changes then that may even change and you may have to revisit it which is fine too yeah but i think people don't think about social media enough and it's potential negative impact on the relationship. 
Mm-hmm. And so, you know, coming from my perspective as someone who's grown up in the social media age, I can tell you right now, my parents would be really ticked off if Curtis and I got off social media because they're watching their grandkids grow up on social media a lot, right? And so it's a, it can be a great way to stay connected, but it can also be a really bad way to stay connected. I mean, if you think about, you talked about this before, connecting with an old flame, it's easy to find them on social media. Right. See, and so I, I have a solution to that. That's what mm-hmm. we do. So it's not that we don't do it, but we use WhatsApp. And yeah. so with WhatsApp, it's uh, it's more of a, I guess, a platform or a vehicle in which you can then create, you know, family uh, dialogue. And so we mm-hmm. don't have, no, there's, there's no one outside the family. And okay. there may be different combinations, but, you know, that's what we use it for, is for sending pictures and uh, all sorts of things like that. And, okay. um, and it's a way to communicate. So I think you can do it. I don't think you have to use social media, though, to do sure. it. Sure. Sure. And so one of the boundaries that Curtis and I have around social media and that I think all couples should have, and that is complete transparency. Right. Yes. And and so, you know, both Curtis and I know the combination to one another's phones. Neither one of us ever has Facebook locked. So at any time I could log into Curtis's Facebook account and see what he's doing, who he's sending the messages to. And he could do the same thing for me. Mm-hmm. I think that is crucial in terms of couples and social media, right? Is, I mean, and I know a lot of couples, they try to combine their social media and Curtis and I did that in the beginning and we ended up separating our social media accounts or going back to our own individuals because it was just kind of easier because we each had our own friends and our own past connections. And so, but you know, one thing that we have made sure that we've had from the very beginning is transparency. There's nothing hidden. There's no secrets. I think that's really what it comes down to is secrets. Right. And so if you go back to the word fidelity, I think that a couple needs to talk about what does that actually mean to them? Because, you know, in, say, a classical sense, it means I'm not going to have sex with anyone else. I think you have to expand that definition, though. Yeah. Relationships, work relationships, and you know, that are more intimate or online relationships. So I think, you know, the expectations around what does fidelity mean? I think you should talk about that mm-hmm. before you shouldn't make assumptions about it. Especially with males and females in the workplace together, because, you know, I mean, it can be so easy to develop an inappropriate relationship at work with someone. And Mm -hmm. oftentimes, I mean, I can, I could see it's like, I didn't mean for it to happen. Right. And, but it, you know, it kind of happens gradually over time. And so something you need to be talking about is, you know, what's okay in terms of work, because you can't just shun workers of the opposite sex. Like that's, really unprofessional and that's just not going to work. So I think an open dialogue is is warranted about that of, you know, I mean, how do you keep healthy boundaries with coworkers who are a member of the opposite sex? You know, what are we doing to instill healthy boundaries so that there's never any confusion or mixed signals going on? Right. And again, it it requires a dialogue because that's going to be somewhat different for every couple. Yep. And so, you know, don't make assumption you need to talk about it. The other thing is that once you become part of a committed couple, your behavior is going to change. Yes. I think you ought to expect that. Again, I'm making a generalization. I think men have a little bit harder time with that, with making the transition from behaving like a single guy to behaving like a coupled or committed guy. Mm-hmm. And the behavior is very different. And I'm just thinking about that uh, on social media, what you might do on social media is very, very different. And so listeners who are 
male out there realize that if you want to be in a long-term committed relationship, some of your behaviors are going to have to change. Yeah. You're right. And so here in a little bit, we're going to get into friendships with members of the opposite sex for heterosexuals. And then we're also going to get to friendships and homosexual couples, because I think that might be an interesting and kind of different dichotomy. But for now, I kind of want to stay in this implied boundaries. And so Mm -hmm. the next one is financial disclosure. Obviously, you have to be open about financial situations, hopefully before you get married, you've talked about this. But I think it's kind of implied in marriage that I don't just get to go make this big purchase without first consulting my spouse, right? Or we have to decide together on how we're going to spend money. Okay, so so I did this once. Yeah, you've told this story before. <laughs> it's a good one. Where I bought the car and we still have the cars and it was a good purchase. So we have two cars that are the same, a year apart. They're identical. They're they're Highlander hybrid hybrids. And we love these cars and we're trying to make it work so they last forever. So Lindy bought hers and we were driving this old van that needed a car. And one day I just I went and I traded in the car and I bought another Highlander hybrid. She was not pleased. <laughs> Even though she, she's pleased with the car. She wasn't pleased with the process, which it actually lacked the process. Anyway, I learned it was the only time I ever did that. But I think it's it's really important that you not do that, that, that you talk about those big expenditures. I think another thing to talk about, and probably somewhere in that Robin Smith book about the, with those questions, the idea of uh, sometimes we're savers, sometimes we're spenders. Yeah. What, what's your attitude about saving for the future? If you plan on having children, college education, I mean, there are a lot of things that you ought to cover before you get married so that there are no surprises. Mm-hmm. And that's not something you would think to talk about before no. you get married, or that's probably not it might not come up, right? I mean, if you're not living together and if you're not sharing any sort of finances, you're going to have no idea of what goes on in their financial world and what their finances look like. I mean, and I think the ones about savings and kids and college education, because that's not something you're going to be thinking about when you're getting married, because you're probably either in college, getting ready to go to college or just out of college yourself. And so- Right. And I'm I'm not suggesting you, you know, immediately start an education fund, but you've got to have a conversation that says, what is your attitude Mm -hmm. uh, about this type of behavior in the future? So that when you then progress to the point where you can actually do that, there's no surprise. I think the the other thing that happens occasionally is people who don't talk about their debt and if they brought debt into the relationship. And that is, that is a trust killer uh, yes. right there. And so it's not that you can't get married with debt. It's that you've got to disclose it. And then yeah. I think you have to have the conversation that says, how are we going to approach this? What does this mean? How do we take care of this? How do we get rid of the debt? So, yeah. All right. So this next one, I think, could probably fall into both categories of a boundary and an expectation, and that's sexuality. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, you know, I mean, there's definitely there can definitely be a boundary in marriage that you are my sexual partner. And this kind of also falls into fidelity. But, you know, we're going to be sexually active together. Right. And so you've talked about this before, the idea of this, if one person in the relationship decides I'm not interested in having sex with you anymore. That leaves the other person high and dry. 
Because, I mean, you know, your sexual desires and your needs, they don't just go away. We are dynamic through the lifespan and we are inherently sexual beings and sexuality. It's an important part of life. And so if I say, you know, if I were to say to Curtis, I don't want to anymore, I'm just done with that. That that doesn't work in marriages. So, So usually, I mean, this is typical that I think I've said this before, that marriages that are successful have typically a high degree of passion in the first, you know, uh, months or even years of the relationship. And so neither one of you is thinking about the possibility that somebody's going to say, I don't want to have sex because you're probably, ha- you're most likely having a lot of sex mm-hmm. at the start of the relationship. I still think it's important to talk about because you can frame it in terms of, okay, what happens? What do we do if this ever happens? And so yeah. you have to be open to the possibility that, you know, things change you know, you have no idea what's going to come up in your life. And so probably the agreement I would suggest is that if this happens, we don't ignore it, but we deal with it. And sometimes dealing with those issues of sexuality, you might need help of a therapist to talk it through. But I think the mistake couples make is, you know, one of them, they start not having sex, they become non-sexual, they don't talk about it. And it's been two two years since they've had sexual relations and they decide somebody you need to do something about it. It's really tough to do, yeah. you know, after that length of time. And so the commitment you can make to each other is we'll deal with it. Okay, let's take a quick break and we will be right back. Hi there, my name is Maya Acosta, and I'm the host of the Healthy Lifestyle Solutions podcast, where I explore ways that we can optimize our health. I learned about the field of lifestyle medicine, which uses evidence-based approaches to prevent, halt, and in even some cases, reverse disease. These are lifestyle modalities, such as using certain foods as medicine, using exercise to reverse disease, managing our stress, and even getting adequate sleep. Join me and the amazing people that I get to talk to as I set out to learn how taking better care of ourselves can help us both improve the quality of life and enhance our longevity. Let's get started. Right. So one thing that I, I'm imagining very little couples think about, and that's right after a woman gives birth, there are six weeks sometimes, or maybe even longer if there's complications, but there's at least six weeks where she can't be sexually active. That's a long time to go without sex, right? I mean, maybe not in the terms of a lifespan, it may seem insignificant, but I mean, six weeks, it can feel like a really long time, you know, or maybe what if one of you, or maybe if you're in the military, how are we going to handle that aspect of our sexuality if we have to spend any length of time apart? Those are conversations that you need to have. And again, it's going to look different for every couple, but it's about the dialogue, right? It's talking about it. Right. And, you know, it's about the expectation that you want yeah. or the boundary. I mean, in this case, both words apply. Like if you're stationed somewhere in the military, then there are you have to have some understanding of what, what the boundaries are. Mm-hmm. And, and so... Typically, people when they get married, couples when they get married, you know if you're going to be in the military. One of right. you is usually engaged in that already. It 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 really doesn't happen typically where you know five years into it, one of you joins the military. Mm-hmm. So you know that's one of those things again that you uh, would talk about. Oh, I I don't know what type of help military gives to you know the the people but hopefully they'd give them some help as to here here are the things you need to be 
thinking about as you go uh, on deployment? Yeah, I mean, you know, you're just because you're in a war zone doesn't mean you stop being human, right? And yeah. you know, that's yeah. that's how do you how do you deal with that as a couple? What do you do? What do you do to handle that? What are the expectations? What are the rules? What are the boundaries? Okay, so I think this leads really well into some of the expectations or boundaries that maybe aren't talked about as mm -hmm. much. And we can start right off with sexuality and that's how often do you want or expect sex? That's something that I don't think enough couples talk about. And I think that can be true both for couples who abstain from sex before marriage and then after you're married. Because I think if you're sexually active before you get married, well, is the expectation going to be different now that we are married, right? What's our expectation here? I think those are things that are important to talk about. Right. So again, I think that when you're first married or when you're first together, typically you're having a lot of sex, much yes. more sex than you know, say six months into it or a year or two years into it. So I think the only thing you can do is to talk about how, how do we handle this if this happens? Mm -hmm. Now, I think I've said this before, your chance of hooking up with someone, marrying someone who has the exact same level of sexual desire that you do is about 10%. Yeah. And so what that means is 90% of the long-term couples out there have the biggest issue is the difference in level of desire. Yep. And so at some point, you're going to have to deal with it. But you don't think about it at the start of the relationship or the marriage because you don't need to. Mm -hmm. I think, again, couples should realize you're going to need to do this at some yes. point, usually. Yeah. And so it's more, how do we do it? And I think at the start of the marriage, maybe all that's needed is a, an acknowledgement that this could happen and we will deal with it when it does. And it's going but to it, change when you have kids. Yeah, it, it will. But you know, the, you and I were talking before we started about sexuality and that I think that there is a huge lack of sexual education for couples mm -hmm. and it's just so much more than just, okay, we're going to, you know, if you're going to have sex, I mean, you can figure that out, yep. but just like the human sexual process or how we each work, how men and women are different that way. I see a lot of couples have been married 10, 15 years, and I typically do a basic sex education piece just on physiology and how we're different. And a lot of couples don't, there are things they don't know. Yeah. And so, you know, maybe what you ought to do is figure out a way to get some good sex education about mm -hmm. the basic physiology, what's going on so that you are more understanding when, for instance, uh, you know, pregnancy or, um, you know, things like that, things happen in life. You change yeah. throughout the lifespan. And parents, if you're listening, find a way to talk to your kids about it. Explain yeah. this, right? I mean, I think education, right. it can start in the home. And I mean, obviously the human sexual response cycle probably isn't a conversation you need to be having with like your 10 year old kid. Right. Well, the age appropriate. <laughs> exactly. Right. Parents make this big mistake around sexuality where they are worried that if they talk about sex, they're going to put the idea in their kid's head. I promise you the idea is already there. They are. Right. All... It comes from their peers. <laughs> so, Or just puberty. Just, right. And so the other thing to remember for parents is, let's say you don't talk about sex at all. And all of a sudden at 17 or 18, you want to sit down and have the talk. It's but... it, that is like, you know, getting whiplash or something. Oh my gosh, my parents want to talk to me about sex. 
start talking about it in age appropriate ways uh, when they're young, because you can yes. do that. Yeah. And, and then by the time they're 17 and you have to be more direct and explicit, it feels fine mm -hmm. because you've already had years of this is something that we talk about in our home. Yeah. Yeah. It should be normalized. Yes. Right. That's and right. I think another mistake that parents make is they try to pretend or maybe they avoid the fact that teenagers, I mean, when they go through puberty, they're going to have all these emerging sexual desires. I mean, that can be confusing for kids, particularly in a religious setting where you are taught that you need to abstain from sex. Just yeah. because you're religious doesn't mean you have different urges or your urges aren't going to be there. You've got to talk to kids about that right. and you've got to make that normal and you've got to not shame them because, right. you know, those urges are, they're normal, they're healthy, they're good, and you got to talk about it. Right. So let's get into friendships with members of the opposite sex. And so I have a pretty good example of this when Curtis and I first got engaged. So I had a friend that I was a running buddy with in college. And after Curtis and I got engaged, I kind of brought it up. I was like, I mean, do you want to come with us? And Curtis is like, no, I hate running, but you go ahead. There was never anything romantic between Thomas and I, right? So we never dated. We were just friends and we enjoyed running. We were always doing it in a public place. And, you know, as soon as Curtis and I got engaged, Thomas understood that our friendship had to shift to include Curtis. And it did. You mentioned earlier that when couples get married, some of your habits have to change. And you, there's an understanding that your friendships have to shift, Yes. right? And Curtis and I were talking about this the other day about, you know, about the fact that if ever somebody just didn't like Curtis or somebody couldn't get along with him, they're either got to figure out how to like Curtis and get along with him, or we can't be friends right. because Curtis is the primary relationship. My marriage is my primary relationship. Everything else is secondary. And I will sacrifice any relationship I have to, to keep mine and Curtis's intact. Right. And so the, it's different for every couple. I mean, I've mm -hmm. seen all sorts of different expectations. And so at least for me, I don't know that there's a right or a wrong. I mean, mm -hmm. there's certainly a line that you can cross and you shouldn't, but as far as whether you maintain friendships with people of uh, the opposite sex or not, and that's up to each couple and, yeah. and your comfort level for that. So Again, it's one of those things that you really ought to talk about, but you know, before or early on in the relationship. Yeah. What are your expectations? Well, I mean, around probably around friendships in general. Okay. So now let's talk about what friendships can look like if you're a homosexual couple. Because I thought of this, and if you're a homosexual couple, I mean, would you need to talk about being uncomfortable? Of so, like, let's say if you're a, a lesbian couple, are you uncomfortable with your spouse having girlfriends? Right. But at the same time, you know, I mean, I, I'm curious what your thoughts are on this. Well, I think the issues are very similar. I don't know that there's okay. really any difference. I mean, the difference is just the the sex that one of you might be uncomfortable with. And so, again, no right or wrong, but you have to talk about it in terms of what your expectations or boundaries are. And so having friendships, you know, with a gay male couple with other men is pretty common. And mm -hmm. uh, but I think that what is talked about is what are the boundaries? What are the expectations of how we interact with these other people? And so I don't see, I've seen uh, some lesbian couples. I see many more gay male couples in my practice. 
And so it's, it's, again, one of those things you talk about. I mean, the theme that's coming out of tonight is that you've got to have a dialogue, but you've got to have a dialogue about things that you typically wouldn't think about. Yeah. And so the key is, how do you get all the, the ideas about, okay, what should we talk about? And that's why I think that, you know, we reference that book at the start. I think it gives you ideas of here are the things we should be talking about or here, because then you can come up with what are the expectations or the boundaries. So with a homosexual couple, it's really not any different from my experience. Okay. Yeah. All right. So a couple of other ones that I think are worth mentioning as far as boundaries or expectations, and that's household chores or tasks, right? So division of labor in the home. Uh, child care. Child care. Yeah. Yep. You know, I mean, it's, that's especially important when if you're a dual career couple, right? So if both of you work outside the home and then you decide to have kids, somebody's career gets put on the parent track, at least temporarily. And, you know, what does that look like? I know for Curtis and I, he wanted to pursue a career, but, you know, it was really important for me to be a stay-at-home mom. And so that was kind of an expectation that we decided early on. And one thing that was important to us was we didn't want any of our kids to be in childcare. And so mm-hmm. if one spouse feels very strongly of, I don't ever want our kids to be in childcare, then you have to decide, well, who's going to be that role? Who's going to stay home and take care of the kids while the other one works? Right. And, and again, the I think these are things that couples often don't talk about because yeah. you know, at the start, you're in love and uh, you don't have kids. So taking care of yourself is pretty easy. Even if you move in together, taking you know with each other, it's pretty easy. Uh, you just pick up after yourself, but you really have to look ahead. Now, this is only if you have thoughts of having children, because there are some couples nowadays who don't want to have kids, which is a mm-hmm. you know, perfectly fine decision for them to make. But it in some ways simplifies the relationship. It does. Uh, yeah, a lot. And so if you think that you're going to have children, if that's in your future, you need to talk about these things. Mm-hmm. Household chores, tasks, I think probably even if you don't have children, because you want it to be more equal. I think that the expectation for most women nowadays is that it becomes equal. Now, you know, if you take 50 years ago, men nowadays, for the most part, are doing more in the home than they did 50 years ago. Mm -hmm. It's still not equal. A lot of men think it's equal, but it's not by any means. And so I think the goal would be to get as close as you can to equality, but, you know, dividing up the different tasks, but household chores and division of childcare, you need to talk about it before. Yeah. Something that couples may not think about is, you know, you need to consider your career choices. So, you know, I mean, maybe if a husband works or if, you know, if a male, if he works a nine to five desk job, right, you know, he goes to work and and not that his work isn't important or in that it can't be like mentally exhausting. But if you have, for example, a wife who's maybe decided to be a nurse or even a doctor, they're yeah. working long shifts. Uh, nurses often 12-hour shifts where they're on their feet all day and they're really busy. That might create a little bit of a division in the household chores, you know, at that point. Or maybe if your husband is a nurse and you're, as a wife, are have the nine-to-five job, right? I mean, you need to talk about that because if one person comes home completely exhausted after a 12-hour shift, there's still dishes that are going to need to be done. People, you're still going to have to eat. Like, you know, you're still going to have to do laundry. Things are like, you know, talk about these things. Yeah. So again, it's anticipating 
Yeah. I think the other thing to take away from this, we're really asking listeners to anticipate what the issues might be five years down the road. Yep. Yeah. And and that's hard to do when you're, you know, in those first stages of being in love and first stages of being married. But I think it's really important to anticipate how this changes. We are not static through the lifespan. We are dynamic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so things change and you have to, I think if you have that expectation that who you are at 25 is typically not going to be who you are at 50. There will be some changes. Yeah. And that it's all about navigating those changes together as a couple and having a good dialogue about it. Yeah. Keeping the, the relationship strong through the changes because the only inevitability in life is change. Yeah. Right. I mean, I wasn't it Freud who said the only thing that are guaranteed is work in taxes or death in taxes or something. I, like I don't that. think it was no, it wasn't Freud. His his big thing was the, the all you have in life is you have work and you have relationship. Yeah. That's everything can be divided into those two categories. Yep, pretty much. Okay. So next week uh, it's gonna be a fun topic. We're gonna talk about midlife crisis. So kind of why it happens and what can you do to prepare for it? So, you know, it'll be interesting 